0: Velma finally gets her gold star, no voting, no bucking, and a skinny girl sues TikTok. All that and more on this week's edition of Sunday Best. Today is Sunday, October 9th, 2022. I'm your host, Justin Meisner, and this is Sunday Best. I consumed all the news all week long, so you didn't have to. And today, we're going to look back and break down the week's best in current events, politics, and popular culture. But first, it's time for our top story. This past August, Bowie High School voted to honor their longtime theater director, Diane Betsy Cornwell, by naming their performing arts center after her. But just over a month later, the Austin Independent School District teacher is under investigation by the district after several former students said she subjected them to emotional and verbal abuse and inappropriately touched other students. Multiple former Bowie students filed a lawsuit last week against Cornwell and the school district. In the suit, the five female alumni said Cornwell engaged in inappropriate touching, harmful and abusive language, assault, battery, emotional and psychological abuse, and manipulation while they were in high school. She is also accused of ignoring allegations of sexual assaults from students. The suit also states Cornwell called students into rehearsal in the evening and directed them to make out with and grope one another. During a rehearsal for The Crucible back in 2012, one of the former students claims Cornwell instructed her and her male scene partner to be intimate with each other, lying on the floor and kissing, and acting sensual in front of their classmates. Another student was cast as a Vietnamese sex worker in a production of Miss Saigon and alleges that Cornwell forced her to give lap dances and perform intimate sexual acts on her male peers on stage. One student recalled being unable to cry during a rehearsal until Cornwell used sensitive information about her family to get a reaction. Cornwell has not responded to any request for comment, nor has the school district. In August, the school celebrated the naming of the Performing Arts Center after Cornwell by by tweeting, She has given so much to so many students for so many years. The plaintiffs, whose ages range from 25 to 28 years old, seek a jury trial and damages for Title IX violations, assault, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and any other causes of action. The former students also want Cornwell's name removed from the Bowie theater space, the hiring of intimacy coordinators and mandatory intimacy training for all district theater programs, monitoring of the Starlight Theater Company to ensure compliance with federal law, and training on sexual assault, harassment, and race and sex discrimination for all district theater programs. The plaintiff's attorney said the women are cooperating with the Austin Independent School District and the Austin Police Department. Still to come on this week's episode, Ukraine's Wartime Raveheads, Beyonce Does Dollywood, and on an all-new edition of Deep Dive, Scamnik in the Seychelles by the Seashore. But first, let's take a look at last week's headlines. According to Vice, there was heavy criticism online on Friday as footage emerged showing a red carpet lining the entrance to the scene of a massacre in northeastern Thailand, in which 37 people were killed at a daycare, 23 of whom were children, by a gun and machete-wielding former police officer. The red carpet was said to have been laid in preparation for the arrival of royal family members, divisive figures who have faced growing criticism in recent years as citizens have begun to question the authority of Thailand's all-powerful royal institution. Members of the royal family are normally met with fawning wherever they go in Thailand, with it customary for people to kneel on the ground to pay their respect. But slammed as tone-deaf and disrespectful, a live stream by a local TV station showed the carpet later being pulled up. Elon Musk, the uber-rich Tesla founder turned social media troll, finally agreed on Tuesday to purchase Twitter for his initial asking price of $44 billion after attempting to renege on his offer. Bloomberg was first to report on Musk's new offer, which comes after he filed a lawsuit against Twitter alleging that the social media company had lied about the number of fake accounts on its platform. The two sides have been haggling over the allegation for months, with Twitter claiming that Musk was merely using the grievance to back out of a deal because he got cold feet. According to Bloomberg, a source close to Musk's legal team said they were getting the feeling that things weren't going well when the judge presiding in the case repeatedly sided with Twitter in pretrial rulings. Bloomberg noted that Musk's team felt this way despite a Twitter whistleblower's recent testimony before Congress alleging that the platform is, in fact, rife with fake accounts and susceptible to manipulation by foreign governments. Tuesday's announcement finds all parties largely back where they began, with Musk primed to take control of a gargantuan platform used to spread information and disinformation. Twitter set to cash in on a big payday, and avid Twitter users waiting with bated breath to see how exactly Musk will wield his newfound power over the company. This week, U.S. President Joe Biden announced he would be pardoning thousands of Americans convicted of simple possession of marijuana under federal law, a dramatic step to decriminalize the drug and fulfilling on a long-held campaign promise. The president also called on state governors to pardon simple state marijuana possession offenses, which reflect the vast majority of marijuana possession cases in the United States. In a statement, President Biden said the move reflects his position that, quote, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. In what marks a high-profile return to filmmaking, legendary director John Waters is stepping back behind the camera for the first time in 18 years. It was announced late this week that the icon will be writing and directing a big-screen adaptation of his most recent novel, 2022's Liarmouth, A Feel-Bad Romance. Village Roadshop Pictures has optioned the script, and I for one cannot wait to see who he casts, because one of the things I have always loved the most about Waters was his uncanny ability to cast his projects, and almost 20 years since his last, there is a lot of exciting talent working now that I would love to see him collaborate with. As per the Washington Post, Real Housewives of New York City alum and Skinny Girl CEO Bethany Frankel is suing TikTok for allegedly allowing scammers to use her likeness and image to promote counterfeit products on the platform. According to documents, Frankel claims that in September, some of her over 900,000 followers notified her upon seeing what appeared to be Frankel promoting a counterfeit designer cardigan. Frankel says, per the documents, that a scammer had taken a past video of her singing the praises of a different cardigan and edited it to appear as though she was actually promoting the fake product without her consent. Frankel says that after seeing the alleged scam, she posted a video of her own warning her followers of the, quote, unauthorized and illegal use of her persona to sell counterfeit goods, but claims TikTok deleted that video for being, quote, abusive, according to the filing. In addition to seeking compensation for damages after her reputation, quote, "...suffered significant injury and irreparable harm," Frankel is also requesting changes to TikTok's advertising policy, which she claims doesn't police these kinds of ads. The lawsuit further alleges, well, one, it alleges that Frankel is an influencer, but... It also alleges that influencers like Frankel have to constantly monitor, for, and police any unauthorized use of their name, portrait, picture, and voice to ensure that counterfeiters and other unauthorized parties do not peddle counterfeited and other unauthorized products using their likeness. A spokesperson from TikTok told The Washington Post that they already have strict policies to both protect people's hard-earned intellectual property and keep misleading content off of TikTok. They further stated, We regularly review and improve our policies and processes in order to combat increasingly sophisticated fraud attempts and further strengthen our systems. Socialite scammer Anna Delvey could be released from an ICE detention center, but only if the convicted fraudster can find a place to stay, according to page 6. On Wednesday, U.S. Immigration Judge Charles Conroy granted her a $10,000 bond, but Delvey needs to provide a residential address where she will be under 24-hour confinement for the duration of her immigration proceedings. Delvey reportedly has the money for the bond, thanks in part to so-called fans purchasing her art, used clothing, and other personal items from her incarceration, but is scrambling to find a spot to call home for her detention. The judge also ruled that Delvey cannot post on social media either directly or by a third party, so there goes her main source of income, I would imagine. The con woman was convicted of grand larceny in New York State and sentenced to up to 12 years in prison back in 2019, but was released early for good behavior last year. She was subsequently arrested again just six weeks later by ICE agents. Following up a story I previously reported on, some of Hockey Canada's highest profile sponsors and two of the country's largest provincial hockey associations are pulling their support for the sport's governing body as pressure mounts over how it handled an alleged sexual assault involving Team Canada players. A representative for the organization doubled down this week on their decision to not make any significant leadership changes. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who has been extremely vocal about his dissatisfaction with the organization's current leadership, even proposed establishing a new organization to take over its duties. Canadian Tire Corporation is ending its Hockey Canada sponsorship permanently, while Tim Hortons, Bank of Nova Scotia and TELUS announced Wednesday that they would not be sponsoring any men's events for the 2022-23 season, including the World Junior Championship Tournament being held this winter in Halifax. Chevrolet Canada also confirmed on Thursday that its sponsorship remains paused and reiterated a statement it made back in June that it would step back from sponsorship activities as they sought more clarity on what specific steps the organization has and will take following the alleged incidents of abuse. An attorney representing the family of a Los Angeles police officer who died after a training exercise in May alleged Wednesday that the officer was targeted and killed after filing a report accusing fellow officers of sexually assaulting a woman. The attorney for the family says they intend to file a lawsuit against the LAPD over the officer's death. The Los Angeles Medical Examiner Coroner's Office ruled the officer's death was an accident and the LAPD's investigator said they found no evidence of wrongdoing. Attorneys for the family claim that the officer was beaten in a retaliatory act for filing a report by a woman who claimed that four LAPD officers sexually assaulted her in July of 2021 while wearing their uniforms. One of the officers involved in the alleged sexual assault was at the training, according to attorneys. The autopsy report said that a cut to the officer's head and fractured ribs were sustained while officers tried to save his life. European Parliament voted this week to standardize phone chargers across the EU by 2024. In a move to reduce electronic waste, every phone, e-reader, tablet, or camera sold will need to have a USB-C charging port. This includes Apple, who's notorious for using their own specific lightning port, forcing the electronic behemoth to decide whether to change all future releases to USB-C or go completely wireless. The EU hopes this announcement will inspire other governments to follow suit. There's a development to a story I first brought to you in our debut episode. Teenage chess grandmaster Hans Nyman likely cheated in more than 100 online matches, including ones with prize money involved, according to an investigation by Chess.com. The 72-page report was released on Tuesday, a month after controversy erupted at a top tournament when the world chess champion Magnus Carlsen accused the 19-year-old American of cheating. According to the report, first referenced by the Wall Street Journal, Nyman privately confessed to cheating to the website's chief officer in 2020, which led to him being temporarily banned from the platform. The report said Chess.com closed Nyman's account in September, given his previous acknowledgments of cheating, suspicions about his recent play, and concerns about the steep, inconsistent rise in his rank. Nyman has previously admitted publicly to cheating in online matches at the ages of 12 and 16, but the investigation alleges he has cheated more recently. Billy Eichner's new film Bros, the first big budget major studio released gay romantic comedy, experienced low first weekend sales at the box office, bringing in 4.8 million and placing fourth overall, following a big marketing push and rave reviews from critics, with the film currently holding a 90% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The opening fell short by almost half of Universal's projections, which were somewhere between 8 to 10 million. Eichner responded to the movie flopping by tweeting, in short, that straight people in middle America just weren't coming out to see it. And he's not wrong. Nor was his tweet angry or accusatory. It was just observational, albeit disappointed. But that didn't stop the press from picking it up all week as a story, often with misleading headlines making it sound as if Eichner was being arrogant. He was simply stating a fact. There was a lot riding on this. It was a big test for a movie of this ilk, and to Universal's credit, they released this film in over 3,000 theaters across the country, not just in New York and L.A. I, too, was disappointed by the weak box office showing because of how this will be viewed within the industry and by studios in the future. But they had exceptional reviews, they had an expensive marketing campaign that saw the entire cast prance across literally every American talk show stage this week, and they even had Judd Apatow. But it just wasn't enough to get people to the theater. Here's hoping word of mouth could possibly give this film a slow and steady redemption story at the box office. That is, if Universal doesn't pull it from too many screens first. Here's also hoping redemption will eventually come, regardless, in its streaming release. In what has got to be one of the greatest celebrity voting campaigns since Madonna draped herself in an American flag for MTV's Rock The Vote, dating app BLK has teamed up with Florida rappers Saucy Santana and the Miami legend herself Trina to remind its users to vote in the upcoming 2022 U.S. midterm elections in November. The rap duo helped bring to life BLK's new social campaign, No Voting, No Vucking, for National Voter Education Week this week. The BLK dating app says that they will also incorporate digital features to encourage black singles to be more involved in politics by registering to vote and learning about political initiatives in their communities. Last week, I told you about the possibility of up to four people involved in the production of the film Rust having charges brought against them for the accidental shooting and killing of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, including producer and actor Alec Baldwin. Well, this week, it was announced that Baldwin and the family of Hutchins have reached an undisclosed settlement in a wrongful death lawsuit brought by Hutchins' family against the production company and the actor. And in a surprising turn of events, it was announced that production on the film will actually resume early next year, in a move that I don't think anyone saw coming. As part of the undisclosed settlement deal, Matthew Hutchins, widower of Helena, will now serve as an executive producer on the film. It has been reported that all parties involved are moving forward with the completion of the film as a tribute to the late cinematographer. Production is now scheduled to resume in January. After decades of hints and tongue-in-cheek references, a brand-new animated Scooby-Doo film that's been released in time for the Halloween season entitled Trick-or-Treat Scooby-Doo has confirmed the long-held belief that iconic character Velma is, indeed, a lesbian. Already a queer icon for decades, the character confirms her sexuality for the first time in the Scooby-Doo universe in the new film, sending fans and Twitter into a tizzy this week. No word if Velma will continue to be an out and proud queer woman in Mindy Colling's upcoming Velma project for Netflix. (music) Trigger warning as this next story contains details of animal abuse. A new investigation shows that Dr. Oz made famous by Oprah and his own syndicated talk show, conducted studies that killed over 330 dogs, including an entire litter of puppies by injecting inspired drugs directly into their hearts. 75 of Oz's studies published between 1989 and 2010 were found to have killed 31 pigs in two other experiments, while 661 rabbits and rodents were killed in 38 more. The controversy stems from Oz's time as the principal investigator at the Columbia University Institute of Comparative Medicine Labs. Additionally, Columbia University paid a $2,000 fine to the USDA for violations of the Animal Welfare Act in 2004 after the university investigated its animal research practices, including research conducted by Oz. This is all coming to light as Dr. Oz is running as the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania's Senate race, one of the most closely watched races in the U.S.'s upcoming midterm elections. The race is tight between Oz and Democrat John Fetterman, who took the opportunity to publicly accuse Oz of being an animal abuser, something Oz and his camp denied. The Senate race in Pennsylvania represents the Democrats' best chance to pick up a seat in the evenly divided Senate body. A CNN poll this week currently finds Fetterman having 50% of support from likely voters compared to Oz's 45 Following up to my rant last week regarding Will Smith and the inevitable release of his Apple film, Emancipation, the streaming giant announced this week that they are indeed going ahead with the film's release this December as planned in a surprising move. The release date will see the film eligible for next year's Academy Awards ceremony, which Smith has been banned from attending for 10 years following his onstage assault of comedian Chris Rock. And apparently, Despite being barred from attending the award ceremony for the next decade, that doesn't mean Smith is ineligible from being nominated, something I did not realize when this ban was first announced earlier this year. And this week, The Hollywood Reporter released the findings of a survey it conducted of a group of Academy members to find out if they would even vote for the actor again, with the findings pretty split down the middle. The question now will be how Apple will move forward with the marketing of this film to both audiences and Academy members. Will Mr. Smith be involved in the film's promotion? How aggressive will Apple push for Oscar consideration? And what will the general public's reaction be to any of it? Only time will tell. This week, Angelina Jolie filed a countersuit against her ex-husband, Brad Pitt, amid their ongoing legal battle over Chateau Miraval, a French winery the former couple bought more than a decade ago. According to the countersuit, Pitt choked one of the children and struck another in the face and grabbed Jolie by the head and shook her during a 2016 altercation. Pitt's team denies this and says the incident was investigated and closed, and this is Jolie's attempt to further disparage him. And finally, the Uvalde School District announced late this week the suspension of the entire school district's police force in the wake of ongoing criticism since the May elementary school shooting that rocked the Texas community. This came just days after ABC News confirmed that a former Texas state trooper, now under investigation for her conduct in responding to the Uvalde school shooting rampage, was among the new officers hired for the district's police department. The force subsequently let her go the next day following public outcry. And those were your headlines. Now it's time to go behind, and in some cases beyond, the headlines for all the news that actually isn't fit to print. I've rounded up the week's best in old-fashioned gossip. It's time for another installment of Rumor Has It. And as always, everything you are about to hear is a rumor, and I have absolutely no proof to the validity of any of these claims. Rumor has it Giselle Bundchen and Tom Brady have hired divorce lawyers after having lived separately for a few months. Giselle was even photographed without her wedding ring this week. A source told Page Six, I never actually thought this argument would be the end of them, but it looks like it is. I don't think there'll be any coming back now. They both have lawyers and are looking at what a split would entail. The source also states that they will likely seek joint custody and most likely file in Florida. Rumor has it that as Beyonce is preparing for an upcoming stadium tour, she is also readying her next album, The Second, in a trilogy, the first of which she released earlier this year. And according to sources, the second album in this current project will be Country, Sources even insist that Beyoncé has either recorded a cover of, or even possibly a duet with, Dolly Parton. Either way, Dolly is somehow involved. It wouldn't be the first time Bey has dabbled her toes in her Houston, Texas country roots. She previously released a country version of her song Daddy Issues with the iconic Texas trio The Chicks, who also joined Bey for a performance of the song at a country music awards show several years ago, much to the shock of the audience. If you haven't seen that performance, do yourself a favor and find it on YouTube. Rumor has it that former First Lady and Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton is setting up a 2024 presidential bid. I find this remarkably unbelievable, and the source is the New York Post, so take it as you will, but they're saying Clinton is dusting off her husband's playbook by criticizing the Biden administration's, quote, open borders to put herself in place to mount a run in 24. veteran political consultant Dick Morris claimed this week in an interview. Rumor has it Gigi Hadid and Zayn Malik are working things out and successfully co-parenting their daughter after a tumultuous couple of years that included allegations that Malik assaulted Gigi's mother, Yolanda. Rumor has it Todd McFarlane's iconic Spawn character is getting another go at a big-screen adaptation following the first film back in 1997. Reportedly, a writing team has been hired to put together a script, but the most shocking bit of news about this? Allegedly, Jamie Foxx, yes, that Jamie Foxx, is attached to play the titular role. Now that is a choice. Rumor has it production on Johnny Depp's first film since the defamation trial scene around the world is off to a rocky start in true Depp fashion. Columnist Bernard Montiel revealed there is already tension on set between Depp and the director, and the two are reportedly not getting along at all. Depp is reportedly frequently late or never even shows up, and in retaliation when he does, the director decides to vanish. This all sounds so passive-aggressive and so Johnny Depp. No wonder all of his movies go over budget when you've got entire film crews on set and shots set up and everyone just stands around and waits for hours for an actor that sometimes doesn't even show. Plus, rumor has it, Depp notoriously uses an earpiece and has his lines fed to him rather than learning them. Rumor has it Adam Levine's pregnant wife is sticking by him amid his cheating scandal. Sources say Levine, quote, feels awful for what he's put her through. Aww. Rumor has it Tia Mowry of sister sister fame filed for divorce this week from her longtime husband, citing irreconcilable differences, but word on the street is he just couldn't keep his dick in his pants. Rumor has it, speaking of Brad Pitt, he's reportedly not letting his legal woes get him down. The famed actor is allegedly dating Emily of following her split from Sebastian Bear McLard. However, sources Insist Brad is still, quote, keeping his options open. How delightful for Emily. Rumor has it the royal family in Great Britain is extremely nervous about Prince Harry's forthcoming memoir, according to royal biographer Tom Bauer, who called the upcoming book a time bomb. Rumor has it, a paparazzo is accusing Cara Delevingne and Margot Robbie's entourage of attacking him for trying to take photos of the model and actress in Argentina over the weekend. However, sources with direct knowledge say that the photographer was allegedly the aggressor in the incident. Rumor has it, famed and married interior designer and author Mark D. Skies can't stop sending unsolicited dick pics to young men on Instagram. And lastly, rumor has it, despite Olivia Wilde's claims of revolutionizing the way sex scenes are filmed with her recent picture, Don't worry, darling. Several sources have come forward to confirm that the film did not have any intimacy coach, allegedly because the cast didn't want one. And those were your rumors. Next up, we're taking an all-new deep dive into a story that first caught my attention on Twitter last week, but was shocked when, with each passing day, no media outlet anywhere was picking it up. As the story unfolded on the social media platform, the cast of characters, or victims rather, seemingly grew by the minute. So last week, I attempted to piece together a deep dive for you based on my own ability as an internet sleuth. The result was a deep dive episode that was over 40 minutes long once I recorded it. Needless to say, I was overwhelmed with information and didn't know where to start. It was all so juicy. But I am not an investigative journalist, and most of my information was coming from personal accounts people were sharing online, sometimes anonymously. Then finally this week, and one full week after the story first started spreading, Travel Noir, a travel blog that caters to the black community, released an article regarding this scandal. And at the time of this recording, Travel Noir is still the only media outlet of any kind to report on this. But it should be noted, this was after many of the people sharing their stories on Twitter tagged the Travel blog on their posts, as Noir was actually involved in promoting this alleged scam. Now, in an attempt to cover their asses, Travel Noir has pulled that article and released an investigation into these Twitter claims. And now I am finally ready to break down a story that I haven't seen the likes of since Ja Rule's infamous fire festival. We've got another scam artist to introduce y'all to on this edition of Deep Dive Scam Nick in the Seychelles by the Seashore. Yacht Nick. Inspired by, but not formally affiliated to the decades-old Atlanta spring break institution that is Freaknik, bills itself as a floating festival that travels to destinations showcasing the African diaspora, combining luxury yachts, island parties, and cultural immersion. According to the company's owner, Jeremy Moore, it's a classier and more professional version of Atlanta's famed street party. When Travel Noir first reported on the company in a favorable article in June of 2021, shortly after its maiden voyage to Croatia, the major selling point was the all-inclusive aspect in a bid to make the event as hassle-free as possible for attendees. Usually, with the typical Yacht Week experience, you're coming out of pocket all the time, but I wanted to make this as simplistic for us as possible, Moore told Travel Noir at the time. And according to several Twitter users who attended Yachtnik's inaugural voyage last year, everything, for the most part, went without a hitch, with guests having to incur only a few unforeseen additional costs. Most of the commenters I saw enjoyed last year's trip overall and were baffled by what could have possibly happened in the past year to cause the horror stories that came back from 2022's adventure. And what an adventure it appears to have been. According to Yachtnik's Instagram page, which at the time of this recording is still up, albeit with some recent omissions, at Yachtnik, for those interested, Y-A-C-H-T-N-I-K, this year's Voyage advertised the African diaspora route as two sailing dates, September 10th to the 17th and September 17th to the 24th. At just over $3,000 per guest, this all-inclusive getaway promised luxury yachts, accommodation for seven days, a professional skipper, a food package with a hostess. That included six breakfasts, six lunches, and two dinners, various drink and bottle packages with the hostess, transfer to and from airports, headline DJs, a gift bag, professional photography, and an all-access pass to exclusive Yacht Nick events among a robust slew of amenities. Flights, gratuities, Alcohol at events, and travel insurance would incur a separate cost, according to a now deleted Instagram graphic posted by Yatnik, that you can currently view on our Instagram page at SundaybestPod. The deal was just too good to be true, and with splashy videos and photos on YouTube, an apparent successful voyage the previous year and articles that had interviews with the company's founder in certain travel blogs, lots of people were spellbound by the litany of promised luxury at an unheard of price. In an environment with a focus on community, it's, it's clear to see why so many people took the bait. Guests who managed to secure a spot on one of the luxury yachts were required to place a 10% or $300 deposit right away. The rest was to be paid off in installments due in November, January, and this past August, respectively. Upon securing their reservations, guests received a rough outline of the week's itinerary. However, communication quickly ceased, but by spring, the event organizers, or Jeremy Moore presumably, created a group me for the Seychelles trip to keep participants updated and connected. Many guests who had grown slightly nervous regarding the previous month's silence felt a sigh of relief upon this new development. But the flow of information petered out again, and by late summer, guests were growing concerned about the lack of communication this close to the trip. Moore had not confirmed essential details like the official route or the itinerary. But a week before Labor Day and less than a month before they were set to sail, Moore finally provided the group with yacht assignments and confirmations needed to complete Seychelles' travel authorization process. This was when Shamika Jennings, whose story I came across first last week, saw what she thought might be a red flag on their yacht confirmation. A small note that seemed to indicate that the boats were not in fact confirmed, but were merely on hold. Jennings decided to call the charter company directly. Dream Yacht Charters confirmed Jennings' fears that the boats were simply on hold and were actually awaiting payment. In fact, the boats had only just been placed on hold two days prior. But the charter company assured her that Yachtnick still had two more days to pay and to not be concerned. Text messages purported to be between Shamika Jennings and Jeremy Moore show that Moore claimed the boats were under a different unique identifier for the group. After the Labor Day weekend, Jennings called the charter company back and learned that the boats had indeed been released back to the public. She again reached out to Moore, who reassured her that everything would be fine, and accused Dream Yacht Charters of racism. When guests started to arrive in Mahi, they were informed that they would actually be setting sail from the island of Praslin, a 75-minute boat ride away, and would be expected to pay for their own transportation, claiming it was never said to be included. Well, of course not. It wasn't placed in the list of amenities because nobody was ever supposed to be on Praslin in the first place. Upon arriving in Praslin, guests soon discovered that the luxury yachts they had been expecting to board were actually catamarans. And from what I've read, they were lovely catamarans, but catamarans nonetheless. And there were even more tweaks to their all-inclusive package, including no sign of the promised hostess to cook meals. Guests ended up paying for taxis to local markets to buy their own groceries. Some guests had booked their own hostess as a backup plan, as well as Airbnb's, once the lack of communication gave them pause weeks earlier. There was no welcome dinner, as promised. Moore told guests that the best DJ in Seychelles was at the raft party. He reportedly just found some random person off the street. No headlining DJ, as advertised. Guests were also given one sheet with no blanket and two towels for the entirety of their seven-day excursion. The premium drink packages that were promised were also questionable. Moore allegedly gifted the guests a free tour of a local rum distillery and was subsequently gifted free rum from the distillery to replenish the boats. The bottles provided were allegedly worth $24 a pop and he provided six bottles per boat. There were about 12 people for every two. There was also no Wi-Fi as promised or professional photography, which was probably a good thing for more since no one was able to live tweet the voyage and posted their stories upon returning. The promised gift bags reportedly consisted of a mug, luggage tag, and wristband to access what Jennings termed imaginary Yachtnik events. The group was hosted for dinner one evening by Seychelles Hospitality and Tourism Board, but multiple passengers from the trip confirmed that the other events were not exclusive and open to the public. This included said rum tour, a tortoise sanctuary visit, two nature walks, and a local bar outing. Guests should count their blessings, I suppose, since despite being relatively happy with last year's Yachtnik sailing, guests from that trip claimed to never have received a gift bag at all and were even promised to be sent them afterwards, but they never materialized. Guests also claim that Moore didn't coordinate with local authorities to have the boats docked, so they were forced to drop anchor in the Pacific Ocean and head to dinghy to land, often in pitch darkness, which it gets in Seychelles around 6.30 p.m. this time of year. It was also monsoon season, so the dinghies traveled on choppy water, a fact guests discovered upon boarding their boats and being greeted with confusion by the skippers as to why this trip was planned for this time of year in the first place. Also, Due to the early darkness, Seychelles has laws forbidding sailings after 6pm. This became an issue when Moore invited the group to a club he claimed to have rented out solely for Yachtnik attendees stationed on the other side of the island. Side note, he hadn't. It was just an open club. Only one experienced skipper was willing to take the risk in the darkness. And it's now also unclear if the skippers were properly compensated at all. The skippers were allegedly only paid half of the $2,000 they were each owed, 300 of which was a tip guests were forced to give more on behalf of the skippers after more informed them that gratuity for skippers was mandatory. So he made us send him money for the skipper, saying it was a tip, but that money was actually the base pay, said one guest. On the final day in Seychelles, the boat docked in Praslin instead of Mahi, where the trip participants were flying out of. There was no firm plan or schedule, so some people stayed on the boats, and others decided to catch the ferry from Praslin back to Mahi early and stay overnight at hotels near the airport. Moore had also previously informed the group that he had secured a villa for the last day for those who needed a place to rest or shower while waiting to leave. He booked the villa from Friday night, but when guests began to arrive on Saturday, they were informed that checkout was 10 a.m. that morning. The stranded guests, many of them female, began to become very aware of the optics of appearing lost in a foreign country as they began to attract attention from strangers on the dock. Most guests eventually found solace in a Hilton hotel that had day passes. Guests that took the ferry back to Mahi early also noticed Moore leaving and heading towards the airport a whole 24 hours before the official end of the trip, essentially abandoning the remaining passengers and skippers who stayed behind on the boats for the last day. Travel Noir reports that they discovered in their investigation that this is not the first time Moore has been called out for not delivering on what his guests paid for, with allegations dating back to 2019. Funny how Travel Noir was unable to do this due diligence for their original article that positively covered Moore and his company last year. People who spoke to the blog allege allegations of Moore scamming people on these trips and owing his former business partner's money is a common occurrence. In fact, Yachtnik is apparently just a rebranding from Moore's initial foray into the business, Sky Residence, that came under fire for not delivering on food, transportation, and safety during prior Sky Resident trips to St. Martin, Dubai, and the Bahamas. For those keeping score, the final tally of extra costs is still coming in, but guests have calculated being out an additional four to $6,000 on top of the, addi- of the initial three. Based on the number of guests and the flat cost, estimates are that Jeremy Moore collected between 250 dollars and $300,000 from guests. With so many amenities not provided, there are questions surrounding how all of this money was allocated. Jeremy Moore did not return Travel Noir's request for comment. And at the time of this recording... No legal action has been taken, and beyond Travel Noir's hastily put-together investigation and the personal accounts on social media from disgruntled passengers, this story doesn't appear to be going anywhere. You'll be the first to know if it does. This has been another edition of Deep Dive. The world is full of crap. And the news? It's even crappier. But there's still good news out there. You just gotta look for it. That's why we're going to end this week, and every week, with some good news in a segment that we call Something You Might Have Missed. The rave scene has a notoriously do-it-yourself attitude when it comes to hard partying, but in Ukraine, techno heads have taken things a step further by combining dance events with fixing up bombed-out buildings. Enter Repair Together whose first event drew over 200 people from as far away as Portugal and the United States to dance among the debris in the village of Yehidny, 87 miles northeast of Kiev, where DJ Alexander Bachinski blasted out techno from turntables mounted on ammunition boxes. Their thirst for repetitive beats sated, the ravers, mostly Ukrainian, grabbed shovels and wheelbarrows, turning their hands to clearing the shattered remains of a cultural center ravaged by a Russian missile strike. The village was occupied by Russian forces on March 3rd and liberated by the Ukrainian army on March 31st. It's a must for me, said Buchinsky, speaking from Kiev. I can't just stand on the side and watch. We have to keep moving, with music, and cheering ourselves up. It's the only way we can be useful. Otherwise, we're just going to sit there and cry, and that's no use to anyone. The cleanup raves are seen as a much needed return to some sense of normalcy for young people in Ukraine, while also giving them a stake in the wartime effort. Repair Together has so far hosted nine cleanup raves in three villages, as well as carrying out repairs to homes damaged by shelling. Their next mission is to build 12 houses in the nearby town of Lukashivka before the winter. And that's something you might have missed. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Sunday Best. As always, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your Sunday to spend it with me. And if you've been enjoying what you've been hearing, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit the bell symbol to turn on notifications so you don't miss a thing. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at SundayBestPod, where we post visual aids to some of the stories we discuss on the show. Join me next time as we take another look back at the weeks ahead. I'm Justin Meisner. Reminding you not to be a dick this week. Goodbye.